Hi, uh, this is Darren here, and I'm joined by Andrew. Hello, hi. Um, so very, very quickly, just doing a quick intro in front of our podcast. Last year, Andrew and I did a very insane thing for a very good cause, uh, where we recorded an 18-hour live podcast to support the Irish Cancer Society for Daffodil Day. That's right. Um, Huge day um, each year for the Irish Cancer Society, where a very, a very large portion of their fundraising happens that day. Now, yeah. this year, of course, it's a little bit different. Yes, this year it's been cancelled. Um, it's been estimated that they raised about €4 million Euro, uh, through Daffodil Day to account for 20% of their annual budget. They only receive 3% of their funding from the state. They're usually dependent on this. Um, COVID-19 crisis has meant that they've had to cancel and suspend this year's Daffodil Day and the implications are huge. It's a charity that is very close to my heart, very close to Andrew's heart. Yeah, um, we, we both know people who have had or who who have um, a, a cancer and people who've suffered from it and... The services the Irish Cancer Society provide are, are kind of immeasurable in terms of improving quality of life and improving awareness and supporting um, as well. So what we would like to request from listeners, um, and again, completely understand um, if not, but just to, to raise awareness of it. If you do have a little bit of money and if you do enjoy the podcast, even if you don't enjoy the podcast, but also <laughs> have a little bit of money, um, we would like to recommend that maybe you make a donation uh, to the Irish Cancer Society to help make up the difference. Um, every little helps. So you can donate uh, directly at cancer.ie, which is the website. Uh, but you can also donate via text if you're based in Ireland um, as well. And if you text the word cancer uh, to 50300, that number again is 50300. And that will make a couple of euro donation uh, to the Irish Cancer Society. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time and we hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. Hello. And this week we have a very special guest. We have a long-time listener, first-time caller. How are you, Anya? <laughs> Sorry. Hello, Darren. Hello, Andrew. This is Anya, um, speaking so- remotely. Yeah. So listeners may have noticed that we're doing our bit here on the 250 to help maintain social distancing and quarantining um, in the, with the COVID-19 pandemic that's happening around the world. Um, and also giving our guests a wonderful excuse to cancel at short notice if they decide they don't like us at all. It's a fantastic social opportunity. This. Yeah, we can't. We're not isolating myself and Darren because the listeners know if if either of us have anything, then the other one has it. We're just so close that, that, that we do literally record in the bedroom. Yeah, yeah. Um, mostly for sound quality. That is the format of a lot of like podcasts and YouTube shows where they'll kind of um, talk in a bed, interview people in a bed. Um, But we we're 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 not we're we're not going to do that. We're this is just just for remote. Yeah. So um, thank you. Kind of cheated. (laughs) (laughs) But don't worry. Next time we're recording, we did. um, Yeah, we didn't. We did not think you would see it that way. Yeah. 
lot of guests tend to get a little bit, you know, I'm not going to say prudish about it, but you know, there, there is a sense of some guests feeling a little bit uncomfortable with the arrangement. Uh, but no, what we are doing is we will be recording uh, some of our podcasts remotely with guests. So if listeners do notice that there's a slight variance in sound quality, um, it's because we are trying to ensure kind of the health and safety of, of our guests at all times and also trying to spare them uh, from my cooking. Um, and actually, this is kind of interesting as well, because we have inadvertently, uh, without planning to, uh, in the midst of this this COVID nineteen outbreak, a, it's also better for listeners not not like to listen to podcasts rather than um, talk to people. Yeah, um, yeah. So we're we're doing our part there as well. We are indeed. Um, and actually, this is one of the interesting things about the schedule of the two fifty over the coming weeks. This didn't happen. You know, this wasn't planned or intentional. But what's actually happened is we've managed to arrange what we'd like to call the two fifty world tour. So if you are listening to this podcast, if you are socially isolating yourself, if you are kind of cutting yourself off. And obviously governments have put restriction on things like travel, for example, uh, certain flights aren't going, holiday providers are seeing mass cancellations, shows have been cancelled, cinema releases have been cancelled. We understand that this is going to put a lot of stress on people. So what we've actually done is we've decided on the 250 over the next couple of weeks, we are going to try to bring the world to you, listener. We're embarking on a 250 world tour from the comfort of your own earbuds. The 250 is terrible this year. Have you seen this? This a Korean movie? <laughs> Yep, and, and so in the coming weeks we'll be discussing films like, for example, the, the Hong Kong actioner Infernal Affairs, the Indian film uh, Gangs of Wazipur, we'll be doing our anime April, we'll be doing Xavier Dolan's Mummy, for example, and hopefully when COVID-19 dies down and it's a bit less topical, we'll also be doing The Seventh Seal. What's wrong with American movies? Like Gone with the Wind. Yeah, <laughs> what is wrong with Gone with the Wind? We have an earlier podcast covering that. But what we actually were kicking this off with a look at uh, Contratiempo, uh, which is Oriol Polo's uh, 2016 Spanish language mystery thriller. And to join us for that, we decided we'd ask Anya to come on, because Anya's talked with us before about uh, Latin American cinema in particular, but also kind of just has an interest in Spanish language cinema. So we thought we kind of rope her into this as well. So thank you very much for joining us, Anya. Thank you for asking me. I do have a real soft spot for Spanish language cinema. You do, and I believe you, you studied it as well, but you studied South American cinema in general, but you have a kind of a soft spot for the genre, or the genre, the country uh, as a whole. Yeah, I lived in Spain when I was a young one. Um, so there's all sorts of, I don't know, it just like, I mean, you know, there's all sorts of connotations, memories, all sorts of stuff. And this one is set in Barcelona where I lived. So that always has, uh, you know, just rings bells. Makes me feel all warm and fuzzy and old. <laughs> um, we all we all feel that way. Um, what's interesting, though, about uh, Contratempo, and this is actually something that you mentioned uh, when we suggested uh, covering it with yourself, which is that it's a film that is available on Netflix. So if listeners have not seen it yet, if listeners want to find out what we're talking about, it is readily available to stream on Netflix around the world. And this is one of the examples of... Over yeah. Think, sorry, is just if people are looking for it on Netflix, don't look it up in Spanish. You have to oh, look yeah. up in this. No, I, you're 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 absolutely right, Anya. Yeah, the, I realized this recently when I was looking up shows to watch in German. Um, that yeah, you have to you have to Google it, and it comes up with the English kind of title of it. Yeah, it's a strange one because it sort of comes up. I put it, I put it in the search in Spanish and. It came up in English, so it must recognize it somewhere. But anyway, if people are looking for it, you have to look for the invisible guest. It is indeed. And it's an odd one because the literal translation of the title, and, and Anya can probably correct me if I'm wrong here, I believe Contratiempo uh, translates as setback rather than invisible guest. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and they say that throughout the, you know, it's a word that crops up often in the Spanish, like contratiempo comes up often, the people say it, every character says it. Yeah. Um, and actually what's interesting is, and this is kind of, I think, gets at it being on Netflix, is that this is an example of the 250 becoming gradually more kind of globalized and gradually more welcoming of foreign films. And... I think that it's safe to credit Netflix uh, for that, in large part because this is the 2016 movie, but it entered the list in January 2020, which corresponded with its Netflix worldwide release. But more than that, it, like the interesting thing about like Oriel Polo as a director, um, and this is kind of fascinating, again, speaking to how kind of modern cinema is globalized, is that he's actually not that big a deal in Spain where these films are released. Mm. So, for example, the movie we're going to be talking about here, which is Invisible Guest uh, or Contratiempo, grossed a reasonable but hardly outstanding $3.9 million in Spain. But it really blew up box office records in China, where it earned $26 million. Um, and it became one of the highest grossing foreign language films ever released in China. It was such a success that Polo's films have actually been bankrolled by China following that film. So, for example, his next film, Mirage, flopped at the Spanish box office, earning under a million dollars there, but went on to earn 17 million dollars in China and was so successful in China that they actually re-released it in Spanish cinemas with the headline, The Chinese Box Office Smash. It's funny we're putting it in dollars in spite of the fact that (laughs) neither Spain nor China (laughs) use, yeah. Mm. Um, they remade this in Italian as well. They oh, did, did they? They didn't. They made they actually, Yeah. No, they did. They made a version of it in 2018. They made a version of it, kind of word for word, pretty much in Italian, but with Italian actors. Um, and it's also been remade twice, twice for Indian cinema as well. It's been made in Hindu as Badla, which uh, means misfortune, I believe. In Hindi? Uh, in Hindi, yeah. And that's that's available on, you can actually search for that on Netflix as well, if you want to continue your world tour. And it's also been made in, and I apologize for mangling this, in uh, Telugu, I think is the language as well. So it's been remade twice for Indian cinema, which is a phenomenal accomplishment. Um, the big surprise is that it hasn't been remade in English yet, unlike, say, The Secrets in yeah. Their Eyes. Yeah, I was surprised that it hasn't, but I, I would imagine, I mean, I would have thought it would translate quite well. Yeah, because it, it's a very, and again, not to get too spoiled, we're going to be talking about it very broadly, because this is probably a movie that can be spoiled, I think it's safe to say. It's well, pro- how how old is this? Uh, 2016, so four years. Okay, so like, it's possible that there will be a remake. I, I know like, um, um, what was this, um, Into Shabla, um was 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 remade quite recently with the was it was it last year into the Kevin Hart Brian Cranston yeah. movie? Yeah. Yes, yes, it was eventually yeah, limping yeah, into yeah. release after well, pres- the whole presumably they knew about that for quite a while. Like, yeah. if I, I imagine if Darren doesn't know that they're in production <laughs> on, um, or if there aren't kind of like rights owned by some um, Hollywood studio at this point, then it probably hasn't happened. Or if Darren isn't aware of it. Um, but uh, this, I love this. If if if, um, if somebody buys the international rights but don't release a publicity statement, does it really yeah. count? Is the Darren question. rings up all the studios and says, um, uh, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say things, and and if I'm right, um, uh, don't Tap answer." The desk, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Tap the desk, so I don't need <laughs> you to confirm. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and and Paolo is obviously he's gone on to enjoy a wonderful relationship with Netflix as well, which again Netflix, and this is the thing about Netflix is that 
they've invested greatly in kind of foreign language film and foreign language film production. And again, Andrew was talking about like watching uh, films in German or TV series in German on Netflix. But like things like Dark, which is a German language TV show, becoming a breakout in internationally on Netflix. What's that uh, called in German? Because maybe that's one of the <laughs> ones I was looking for. Because I keep looking up these things like uh, Weidersee and nothing coming up, but it's probably known as something completely different. Dark is the one that's like Stranger Things. Okay. Okay. I think I I think I might have looked for that in a in a with a with a German title and it didn't come up. And sort of Paolo has talked about how like cinema in Spain and probably Anya can probably speak to this, but in terms of modern cinema in Spain, and again this is part of me wonders if this is Paolo explaining his own lackluster box office results in Spain, um, or if this is actually a general industry trend. But he's remarked that Spain in the past couple of years has lost many cinema screens, and the cinema screens that it has, like cinema screens everywhere, are typically going to Hollywood blockbusters. And so the local film industry, the Spanish film industry, is largely reliant on international support and the support of companies like Netflix in order to keep production rolling. But I think maybe Anya can, can speak to that if she knows more about the industry than I do. Yeah, I'd love to say that I do, Darren, but I don't. Sorry. <laughs> um, but it's worth noting that, that Netflix have gone whole in in supporting Spanish language film. Um, two years ago, there was the film Veronica, uh, which was from the director of Rec, uh, which became a viral phenomenon worldwide. It's a Spanish language horror movie about a possession. And I remember that was one of the moments where it really dawned on me how much Netflix has done to support international film. Because... As much as Andrew might joke about me ringing up all the studios and saying, "Hey, just tap yes for no," we have covered no. Roma. Though. That was the la- the, la- the last la- the last the last movie well. we yeah. Um, but I mean, like uh, mm-hmm. Veronica is a film that was so viral and so successful that I found out about it from my younger sister. Like that's how cool Netflix's release of this Spanish language horror was. That my sister texted me and said, "Darren, have you seen this thing on Netflix?" Which is a phenomenal reach um, for for a, like a Spanish language horror to have. You know, at that stage, still teenagers in Ireland, kind of talking about how exciting it is to watch these. And they've actually greenlit a an eight part series from Paolo as well, he'll, which will be going straight to Netflix um, as well. But yeah, just just let's talk a little bit about the Invisible Guest very very broadly because it is. And I think Anya kind of alluded to this earlier when you mentioned that you can see this working, you can see this being easily adaptable. As you mentioned, it was adapted to Italy, it was adapted twice to India. And it's more, it's kind of surprising that it hasn't been adapted for American cinema. Because this is, it's a very broad kind of like thriller, twister, psychological kind of thriller. It's a, a premise that I think Paolo himself has likened to Hitchcock. It's kind of this very tense, ratchety, twisty story. Was was the Chinese plot put in there for the Chinese audience or no? Oh yeah, because we'll talk. About, I thought we might talk about that in spoilers. Yeah, well, um, yeah, yeah. There, I, 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 it's a very small, it doesn't reveal much about the movie. Yeah, I that guess. there is uh, that. Yes, uh, Doria, the lead character in the film, has made and I quote inroads into the Asian market with his media company, Global GoTech Media. Which is one of those great like movie kind of company names. It's incredibly generic. It's like we make stuff. <laughs> we make tech that goes and it's global. I Omni- like his Omni consumer products. <laughs> yeah. He wins don't a- make consumer products. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, or the uh, the business <laughs> Acme, yeah, that's it exactly. Um, or the Businessman of the Year award that he wins, which is like well, a couple of weeks ago we were talking about, like, I Know Who Killed Me. And it's like the Young Artist of the Year award. It's like generic award uh, 2020. Um, but yeah, so so Anya, just in terms of very briefly, what, what did you make of The Invisible Guest? What's your kind of first takeaway? No spoilers. Somebody listen to the podcast who hasn't watched it yet. What was your big takeaway? 
Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was the, the sort of film that you have to, it's a thriller, you have to pay close attention. The attention, you've got, you can't be playing Candy Crush or texting your boyfriend at the time. You've got to watch every little detail because it layers itself up. And you, I'm not sure that the script was that great. I'm not sure that it was um, a work of great genius in some respects, but I think it was incredibly enjoyable, very watchable, and I would highly recommend it. Yeah, that, that's it exactly. It's because it's Paolo as, as a director. He wrote and directed this um, and he cited Hitchcock at, yeah. as an influence on this. And, and you it could... does feel very Hitchcocky and like the whole, the beginning really does. And the music in particular, the music evolves over it into something more modern. But in the beginning and the way the woman is dressed, Virginia Goodman, all of that, I thought it was very Hitchcocky in the whole thing. The blonde even. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the striking blonde, the kind of white-haired blonde almost, yeah. And I found myself yeah. thinking of Hitchcock as well. I mean, the 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 the, the look of it obviously was very kind of um, uh, different, but the I yeah, I suppose the feel the feel of it or the 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 the, the kind of um, yeah the I suppose I suppose the plot or the way it was kind of delivered, yeah, felt very kind of. Um, Hitchcockian. It looked more like kind of a Kubrick film, I think, in some respects. I mean, obviously, one Kubrick film in particular, which we'll probably talk about in the spoiler zone, but it did look very Kubrickian to me, or maybe Fincher esque. Yeah, I was thinking Fincher. Um, but just just in terms of Paolo as well, because I think that the movie has this incredible momentum. I I would agree with you actually. I think that the script maybe is weaker than the direction, but it is propulsive. And again, reading reviews of this, this is this is an interesting film because it's it's massively popular with um, audiences around the world. Um, it's one of the most popular films on the Chinese social media app. I think it's uh, Dainping, uh, which is basically their version of IMDb. On our own IMDb, it broke the 250 recently. I think it's currently around 245 um, this... and climbing. Yep. Yeah, um... I, I, I couldn't find it. Oh, wait, hold on. I was probably looking for Contra Tiempo. <laughs> um, but yeah... It... <laughs> It, it's done very well with these. It's done very well at the box office, but it's actually got lukewarm reviews at best. I think on Rotten Tomatoes, it's currently rated, say, 65, 67%. On Metacritic, I think it's around 63%. And you can kind of see that because it's, it's, it's a roller coaster of a movie, I think, to a certain extent. It's a film that maybe where the script isn't as strong as the direction is stylish and how propulsive it is in terms of yeah. momentum because it just, it goes. It runs like the clappers. And the, 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 the point about it being stylish is, oh sorry sorry go ahead there on no it's just that it keeps surprising you you know it's never what you think oh i've got the and you go, oh <laughs> you know like it's so that's partly why it's so watchable because you think that doesn't work or they forgot this and you realize oh no they didn't forget it and, and so it keeps you watching all the time it doesn't eat. and like one of the things watching it I noticed I was almost sitting there with a stopwatch is that like every 10 minutes or so and again this is one of those things that sounds like a line from a trailer and probably is every 10 minutes everything you think you know has changed yeah. um which is an, exactly an amazing structural conceit and it does I mean part of me wonders looking back on it in the cold light of day does it hang together that well logically speaking um, and and part of me is like, well, that doesn't matter because sitting down and watching it, I actually quite enjoyed it. I think as I think it was as like like my sense from it was, it almost certainly doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Like, like it, it's not it's kind so of enjoyable because you know, it's sense defying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's not one of those ones where you get to the end and it's like, oh, everything fits kind of together. Uh, fits together now. It's, um, it's like, no, but that last image was striking. What it left me with was striking, sort of thing. Yeah. You know? Um, I, I do love that senses defying it's kind of that's that's the pull quote um, that's what they should put on the poster um but i guess then because this is a movie we can't really talk about in much depth without talking about spoilers we're going to jump yeah. into the spoiler zone in a moment so just three quick questions sort of as we go around so on yeah um no pressure whatsoever on this but do you uh-huh. think that uh contra tiempo or the invisible guest belongs on a list of one of the 250 greatest movies ever made no all right, cool. Um, is, is there any elaboration? Or are we going to do that in the other side no, of the score zone? Like, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that, Anya. Yeah. I'd, 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 it, felt, it felt like one of those uh, popular shows, pop, kind of star-driven shows, like something like a Damages. Or I was trying to think of the name of uh, it earlier, and Darren was able to help. Uh, Big, Big Little Lies. Yeah. Where it's yeah. very, very kind of like polished but also uh, like uh, kind of slight like the, the, the yeah like i think i think it's all for a coat and no knickers yeah you know in terms of plot it's very much like it, it's super stylish it's really quickly and cleverly delivered but it's it doesn't hold together no and I mean, part of me wonders, and again, this is one of the things where I want to stress up front, and this listeners and Andrew know what this means. When Darren stresses up front how much he likes something, this <laughs> means he's about to say something that sounds really mean and horrible about it. And I apologize in advance for that, because I did really, really enjoy this. But it feels to me, and this is in no way the slight that it's immediately going to sound say it. like, okay, fine. Um, <laughs> Contra Tiempo. What? The blaster off. Yeah, just one quick tug. Um, it feels to me like a dumb person's idea of what a smart film is, um, if that makes sense. <laughs> and I, 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 that sounds really insulting, and I don't mean it that way. Like, I love lots of movies that feel like that. So I think, like, when I was watching it, I was thinking of, have you guys seen um, Identity from 2003, the John Cusack film? Uh, yes, but it most of the details have slipped from my mind, like, but is, I have it- seen it. It's is the it one a, where they're all at the motel. It's a bit. Is it a bit like <laughs> Limitless as well? Is that the kind of like where where like where where you would put those? Like kind I like yeah, Limitless. Limitless as well. That the Robert De Niro, Bradley Cooper, super brain movie. Um, yeah, any move, any movie that says uh, we own, you know, we only use ten percent of our brains. Yes, yeah, is, is, is that the kind of wheelhouse that you're thinking? That I'm kind of thinking this is in, and I don't mean it as an insult at all because I actually really enjoyed Limitless. I loved Identity, and I really liked this as well. But it does feel. I don't a little bit... mean to reveal how I feel about things and how much of a snob I am. Yeah. But I had this thought. It doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. <laughs> but let me just say it anyway. Yeah. Um, but no, no, because because it does. It's it's that thing that that kind of on you mentioned where I'm not sure it will stay with me. But it was a joy to watch. Sort it of was. Thing. It um, was. And then I guess the second question, and I think I I know where this is going. I'm um, guessing you wouldn't put it on the top two fifty. No, 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 I wouldn't. And again, I would. We'll get to the third question in in a moment where I feel like. I'll probably give it more confident or assertive answer. The second question then is, Anya, would it be on your own personal 250? Of the best 250 movies you've seen, would this be up there? Oh, no. But I would certainly recommend it to people. Do you know what I mean? Like, a lot of the time you see a movie that's really great and you know it's wonderful, but actually only a few people will enjoy it. 
uh, whereas I think far more people can enjoy this. Yeah, I, I, so it's a yeah. one. If I had a top two fifty of films that are really beautiful pieces of cinema, or are are moving, or affecting, or intelligent, or something like that, there's one. There's that. They don't. There is a Venn diagram where they overlap at some point, but not always, and they're two quite separate lists. And then there's the one that they're just really, really good fun to watch. Yeah. And I, I, I think I think we're we're in the kind of uh, uh, COVID nineteen uh, safe uh, handholding club here, <laughs> where we where we all well, agree on this movie, but but we are separated by re- remotely. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah I, I, well, I am. You too, aren't? <laughs> no, no, no. But I, 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 like, there's no, there's no, there's no way of keeping Darren and I from yeah yeah um, um like yeah i i i I'd, I'd, I'd agree with you there i wouldn't have it on my like on, on my top 250 but i would recommend it yeah and since we're combining mm. the two questions i i would agree with that exactly and it's kind of interesting because i think that like we talked a couple of weeks ago about knives out um and knives out is a film that is probably quite comparable to this film in terms of being populated with twists and revelations and everything you know is wrong and constantly revisiting scenes in the way that this one does over the course of its own narrative as well and i really really loved knives out i really really enjoyed this but the difference for me between the two was that like knives out had a kernel of what i would call aboutness to it where it was kind of it was playing with bigger ideas um and kind of watching Contratiempo, and I'm aware that I'm going to ask Anya in a couple of minutes what this was about for her. Uh, Contratiempo, for me, didn't seem to be about anything more than kind of the fun of itself, which is great. And, and, and Darren is somebody who does not hate fun. I greatly enjoy fun. <laughs> uh, but it does feel like that kind of held it back for me. So it wouldn't be among my 250 favorite movies ever. Anybody but... anybody who has to say, I like fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing asserts you're a fun person like saying, I like fun. <laughs> I'm a fun person. <laughs> My mom says I'm cool. Um, but also, um, what, I would entirely recommend this. It is on Netflix. It's available around the world. It's an hour and 45 minutes long, so it's relatively brisk by the standards of modern movies. And it goes yeah. like the clappers. It just keeps going. Everything twists and turns. It's in a movie that kind of keeps you involved. You never know what you think you know. And it's it's a film that... I had, and again, this is the thing where I feel like, you know, if I have been mean to the film and I didn't mean to, what I would say in its credit is that it is utterly and completely unwilling to let itself be boxed in. There's never a point at which the script seems to reach a conclusion and it goes, well, the only way out of this is a straight line. Um, and I kind of admire that about the film's approach to storytelling. There's always a point at which it goes, no, I can sharply turn left or I can sharply turn right. Um, and I'm never mind that it doesn't fit with the big picture. Never mind. That, yeah, um, I mean, that's not necessarily to the film's credit. Uh, maybe. I think it gives the movie energy, though. I think like it makes it really easy to watch. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I suppose it just doesn't give it doesn't give the satisfaction of it being a puzzle yeah, yeah. that you could solve. Like yeah. it, it, um, it, it's very much kind of, yeah. The, um, to quote Rian Johnson. Intended to confound. Yeah, to quote Rian Johnson, it's a roller coaster, not a puzzle box, probably is the best description of the film. Right. Um, all right, then. So I think we've answered those three questions. Um, listeners, if you want to go off and watch it, watch it on Netflix. Join us on the other side of the spoiler zone.
spoiler zone. So, Anya. Yes, Darren. What is The Invisible Guest about for you? Um, well, as I say, there's nothing really, there, there aren't, there's no aboutness as a, it's basically what you see is what you get. And we have a young, handsome, successful, unspecified entrepreneur waking up um, beside the body of his dead, the, of his murdered lover. Um, and it goes back then, the story goes back and we get the what happened before that. And I don't really know what else. Oh, we're in the spoiler zone, so I can say what I want. <laughs> you can say whatever you want. Um, but yeah, no, no, because it, it is, it absolutely is. I, I love the idea that, yes, he is, he is a unspecified successful businessman. Distractingly handsome. <laughs> yes. Uh, Doria, yeah. um, who works for Global Go Tech Media, again, which is one of those wonderfully generic omni-global consumer corp companies. Um, but again, uh, this he, is... He, he looks... In movie, so he smokes a lot. In an American movie, no matter how stressed he was, he wouldn't smoke. But in European movies, you can smoke thoroughly. Or no matter how repulsive he may become over the course of the film as well. I kind of <laughs> admire, again, this is one of the things about European cinema. And again, to be fair, it's something that's kind of, you know, it is the Hitchcockian influence on the film, but it does feel like the movie kind of pushes even further than Hitchcock in that regard. I love how much of an asshole uh, Doria becomes over the course of the film and how the film kind of revels in that. Um, the, the I like one of the problems I I guess I kind of had with this movie was the the lack of characterization, but that maybe helps to tell the story in a sort of a Rashomon way. So where 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 you don't well, get a sense of who he is until the very end. It had to play with the characterizations though, because yeah. the first premise is that uh, Laura is the body. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, is that is that uh, Doria himself couldn't possibly have committed the murder? Like he, that's the starting point of the mystery. The entire like mystery hinges. It's a locked room mystery. The basic premise is he he woke up next to the body of his dead mistress, um, and claims that there was somebody in the room who attacked him, but there's no evidence to support that claim whatsoever. And in order for that premise to work you immediately need the audience to assume, to rule him out as a suspect. Um, spoiler alert, um, even though we're in the spoiler zone, it turns out the solution to that particular locked room mystery is the most obvious one. Um, but like in order for the narrative to work, you need to have the hijinks of kind of like the audience going, no, 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 he couldn't have done it. There has to have been somebody there, which means we have to have a mystery to solve, which means that we have to kind of circle back around and figure out exactly what was happening. And I think, yeah, I think the loose characterization kind of helps in that regard. I did like... It took me a little while to get on the movie's wavelength, um, I, I think, think. I think the, the loose characterization kind of, or the lack of character for some of the kind of so-called characters in the movie, there, there, there's also plenty of examples where it doesn't really kind of um, aid the story at all. Yeah. Like, like like his, his wife, um, her kind of part in the movie is so... 
anemic lightly drawn like yeah. there 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 there's nothing really to it there there's not we don't we don't really feel any of the sort of the drama between them yeah I, you I, get a single line of exposition and a quick shot during a montage illustrating that he's lost his his wife and kid yeah. that shot of them looking at him through the kind of speaker glass at the kind of at the prison visiting center oh um, by by the way oh. some 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 very uh, speaking of exposition <laughs> um, some <laughs> some very blatant kind of um um victoria um or no sorry it's virginia, virginia. isn't it virginia goodman is walking in and the television is on and it's kind of like um that character you've just seen is uh is a highly successful businessman yeah, there's a dead kid <laughs> yeah. a missing boy and exactly. blah 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 yeah i know it's Tells all there, you everything. <laughs> but, but it, it it feels very it, like the like it, it, it does what it needs to do, but it doesn't do it in the most kind of art, artful or subtle way, which I suppose is fine because it's it, um, it's it's trying it's trying to get things across effectively, I guess. Um, I kind of like that aspect of it. I kind of like the aspect, like the film's willingness to just kind of throw the premise out in front of you. Like, so when Virginia kind of walks in and, and kind of introduces herself to him, like you haven't even got the first round of exposition out. It's like she sits down and it's like, so tell me what happened. It's like, oh yeah, was that a hotel being blackmailed? And it's like, wait, 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 wait. I feel like there's more to unpack here. And then like almost immediately within 15 minutes of that, like he's gone to, oh, by the way, I also killed a kid in a hit and run, which I haven't admitted to anybody yet, but I feel like I should probably tell you stranger who i don't know up front uh which is kind of again this it, it's the movie not really making sense in terms of character because like i'm not sure i believe that like doria whether the you know naive innocent uh, man who he presents himself as at the start or the ruthless sociopath he becomes at the end would ever like open an interview with oh yeah by the way so i killed a kid during a hit and run and disposed of his body well, um, he didn't kill the kid <laughs> In that version of the story, no. Well, no, no, like, like, like the it wasn't it wasn't a hit and run where he killed a person. It was it was like a it was it was it was a car accident. Yes. Um. But yeah, he did run. Oh yeah, I suppose it is a hit and run. <laughs> he did hit and he did run. Um, <laughs> yeah. He also disposed of the body as well. But I like again, part of me again. This is one of the things where like as a piece of character drama, I'm not sure it works for the characters. Where he's like, look. I've never met you, but Felix has vouched for you. So I'm going to assume I can just admit my complicity in this, you know, potential murder of a young man or manslaughter as he initially owns up to it. But hey, I just met you. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> yeah. But I killed some man on a road uh, a few weeks ago and this might be related to the crime. <laughs> yeah. And again, like, it's, it's really strange because the movie, like, the movie then relies on you being aware of that cover up. But like that cover up only existing not as an incident of itself, not as kind of like a big emotional beat or character beat, but as a piece of background exposition. But yes, yeah, so, so Anya, what about you? How did you find the kind of like the plotting of that first 10, 15 minutes? Was it kind of similarly a little exposition heavy for you? A little bit kind of like uh, a little bit strange. This is a lot to take in at once. Or was it something that kind of like felt like an element of genre? Well, I think that's sort of why it wouldn't go in the top 50 of the best films ever made because it, it is a bit, um, it, you know, it, it has a job to do. It wants to it wants to set some stuff up and it doesn't take that much time about it. It's quite heavy handed. It's quite, uh, it's sort of brutal in a way. Like here, this is the stuff that you need to know. This is what I need you to know to make my film. And 
in that sense, it's not particularly beautifully crafted or anything, but it is very effective. Well, that's it, because it's propulsive throughout. Like, it just keeps moving. Exactly. Um, and again, this is one of the things, and again, we talked about Knives Out a couple of weeks ago, and Rian Johnson talked about, like, how his favourite part of a whodunit, right, is basically the bit where, at the end, the investigator says, and here's what really happened, and you start showing these kind of Rashomon clips where you get to see scenes that you've seen before, yeah. but out of context and played differently with different actors substituted in and camera angles change and therefore changing the context of what you've already seen. And one of the things that I really, really, really admire. That's what Sorry, yeah, yeah. The lateral thinking that Virginia was talking about. Yeah, that's it with the with the ice block, for example, as well, which is, is good. And again, you have this kind of like the film almost seems very self-aware of what it's doing. Because Virginia talks about mm -hmm. how Laura was the femme fatale prototype, for example. But she also kind of talks to uh, Dario when she's holding the folder and says, you know, the answer has to be in the nature of your story, which is very much it's not like it doesn't feel like an investigator trying to solve an actual murder case. It feels like an author in a mystery book writing to the, the audience and saying, I've given you a riddle. I want you to solve the riddle rather than solve the murder case, which is kind of makes it an, an kind of an almost intellectual exercise, I think. Yeah, and, and she keeps talking about the detail, the detail, the detail. It's all already there. So it's that same thing as like a spot the difference puzzle. That's exactly. And again, and this is one of the things that I quite like about the movie is that like that, that thing that Johnson mentioned about where at the end of a murder mystery where you go back and you play out the scenes with the missing parts, the entirety of The Invisible Guest, like from beginning to end, the entire 145 minute runtime of it is basically one of those speeches. It's Benoit Blanc or it's Poirot talking about here's what actually happened and then yeah. flashing back and showing you scenes you've already seen but with actors changed and kind of emphasis shifted and kind of dialogue restructured and replayed in order to present a version of the case and it does this over and over again. So like halfway through I think you see, well, what if Tomas was the killer and it shows you like what, what the scene would look like if Thomas had been responsible, for example. Or, you know, what if Laura actually stole the cash and then it shows her kind of stealing the, the cash using your man's bank card. But then later on, you get to go back and see Dorio doing it as well. And even like when characters are doing this, and this is one of the things that I really, really liked about it, is that even when characters, even when Dorio and Virginia are kind of like outlining their own fiendish kind of whodunit mystery solutions or kind of their own, you know, solutions to the riddle, like Dorio himself readily goes, oh, I don't know. Or maybe Bruno helped her or something. I don't know. What what am I? I don't actually know what I'm talking about here. I don't know what I'm telling you. What you're seeing isn't actually real or isn't actually necessarily true. It's just a collection of kind of ideas or images or ways that I've found to bend the facts that we have into a story or narrative. And I actually quite like the energy of that. Yeah, it, it's... Um, um, it's a film that's 90% montage. Yeah, I mean, it, he... he I, what what do you think he's figured out at the point where he looks in a, in the mirror and then and then like smacks his head into it? I mean, like at the end, is it? Yeah. Well, like like the, the this is before the beginning. Yes. Fair is, point. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Where 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 he's just where he's just murdered um, his mistress and there's people knocking on the door, <laughs> and he's like, oh, I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> Solve, um, solve the problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He like bangs his head, uh, and then wakes up, and he's like, uh, like <laughs> you kind of expect him to be like, "What's going on? <laughs> Hold on, I I had some sort of a plan." <laughs> <laughs> 
to be I fair, I think remember. he's very clearly I just, improvising. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know. Like, I mean, he, I he, he definitely is, yeah. I don't, I don't think he's figured everything out when 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 he um, when and, he hits his head. And the film, to be credit to its credit, kind of underscores that with the uh, by giving you the sound of the police knocking at the door to give you a kind of a counting clock, a ticking clock. Yeah. And there's a real sense of him looking in the mirror, going. Okay, my first priority is to get myself in a situation where I don't have to answer questions immediately and I will deal with the rest as it occurs, uh, which kind of feels like it makes sense and kind of feels like it fits with the, the movie's yeah, aesthetic. But I mean, it's it's basically about the fact that he just wants to save his own ass at, no, at any cost. Like, it really doesn't matter. And that he knows that he has the means to be able to do that. Like, he can buy himself innocence as well. I suppose that's the only other aboutness about the film that maybe this that the legal system isn't that great, that it's more about spin than justice sometimes. And that if you have enough money you can buy your way out of trouble. And yeah. that that version of his character makes a lot more sense. Like be, be, because we're they earlier in the movie were we're expected to kind of believe that the, there's this very kind of um, that there's this person who's kind of morally tortured by having 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 this affair and is kind of um, uh, disgusted about the uh, the lengths to which his um, his mistress will go to to kind of protect herself. Yet yet kind of like one of the big things we know about him is is that he's this hugely successful international businessman. Yeah, yeah. And you get the the sense kind of like who who like if we've watched movies before, who 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 who's the one who's likely to be the the unscrupulous kind of sociopath. Yeah. Because I mean, because and again, I kind of like the way the movie shifts that because like during his initial account of the events to Virginia, he's all like because he gives you this kind of like haze code morality type spin on things where he's sitting there behind the wheel of the car and saying all I could think about was why I was there and not at home with my family and it feels almost like a very clear cut sort of like moral story we're supposed to take where like Dorio's big moral transgression is that he had an affair and as a result he's going to end up punished and tormented by that and I kind of love that the movie eventually pivots around to no 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 he's, he's pretty much Patrick Bateman he's pretty much a sociopath like right. he's, he's completely disconnected from reality and he's as you pointed out uh, and, and is that what the movie is about is it is 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 it is it is it an anti-capitalist movie? Yeah. Well, like, I don't know if like it goes that that deep into anything, but it certainly suggests capitalists might be a bit mean. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Again, I feel I feel I feel like part of me is like it arrives at that twist just because that's where you know that the script hit one hundred and twenty pages. I feel like if if Paulo had been filling out another forty pages, it would have turned out that actually it was all an elaborate frame, and Felix the lawyer was behind it all for some reason. I don't yeah. know because we've we cycled through all the other possible candidates. Yeah, and it do, it does feel at a point like they're revealing things for for the sake of kind of um, shocking the 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 audience like him him revealing that actually he wasn't dead i killed him <laughs> which is a wonderful i'm a completely like i'm a shark basically i'm dead inside moment it's like yeah. oh, what was i supposed to do um, yeah. he's like oh wait hold on one one other thing i killed him <laughs> i feel like yeah we've kind of we neatly wrapped everything up but i feel like there's one thing that you need to know my lawyer woman who i've just met who i'm sure is absolutely on my side no matter what I want you to know I'm not actually a victim. I killed the dude. Yeah, everything uh, else you've had to drag out of me. Because he said that the evidence would be there whenever they found the body, that they'd know he drowned. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, Do you know what I mean? That was why he said he couldn't reveal yeah. where the oh, body yes. was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that because does make then sense. it would prove that he wasn't dead when he went into the water. Yeah. Um, and again, like there, there's, there's a lot of that throughout as well. A part of me wonders actually, did anybody? How did people do it guessing the twists in this movie? Just out of curiosity. So, like, yeah. I, did anybody... I did. I did. I did. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead, Anya. Anya. I I worked it out fairly early on. Uh, what What did you work? Just on? by looks. Oh, but by the fact <laughs> that he did it, or like, what exactly? Did oh you work well, out? which twist? Which twist? Yeah, there are so many of them. Yeah. The Virginia twist, yes. I worked out quite early on just by looks. And then I cheated and I look at the IMDb <laughs> cast and crew list. <laughs> That's fair, I suspect. Um, <laughs> it was just to confirm my suspicions. Because I, I actually I had a similar thing as well. And I kind of figured that out very early on as well, because it's like uh, they're spending a lot of time with Tomas. And Tomas has spent a lot of time talking about his wife, but we haven't seen much of her. And in fact, the film makes a point to keep uh, Dar- uh, uh, Dorio separate from her as well. Um, and so part of me is like, yeah, there's and to keep her face hidden until a certain point. That's it. Exactly. And even when you see her, she's wearing glasses as well, for example, in order to obscure it. And I was like, yep. Uh-huh. And it, it was the moment it was the moment where he marked the X where the body was on the map. And it's like, yes, this the only way that this actually makes sense in terms of plot is if this is just an elaborate scheme to get that detail out of him. Um, and that was the point at which I figured out that it was it was her. I will say that I didn't entirely figure out that he was a ruthless murdering sociopath. That was a kind of a minor shock to me. I will concede. Even even though even though he looks well, I suppose he looks he looks just as much like a villain in Thunderbirds as he does look like <laughs> a, like a hero. Yeah. In, they in all have that sort I suppose of thing, they all man. have that kind of yeah that um, that like perfect stubble and. Yeah. Um, yeah but you see it comes around to the sort of very like a a lot of it like I did wonder was it going to be you know Old Testament justice kind of stuff I did wonder was that but it does come back to the fact that in the beginning uh, it it, it is Old Testament you know because it's people who have dodgy sexual morality oh well they must be murderers as well right you know they were having they were having an affair well they're obviously crap people they always correlate in those things and i was surprised that it came around to that but i, I suppose they so can't be that much of a surprise that he's a sociopath <laughs> that's, that's that's fair i did kind of assume he that it have would... an affair. he must clearly be a murderer i kind of assumed that it, because it was a european film it would probably have kind of a maybe and again maybe that's an unfair stereotype of european cinema i kind of assumed that him having an extramarital affair was more characterization than sort of like moral judgment on the part of the film um but no but it's Spanish, not French. Ah, oh, is, is this a thing in Spanish, <laughs> Spanish cinema? Kind of as puritanical as, as kind of Hollywood cinema in that regard, actually. We well, ask it depends us. what Spanish cinema. I suppose Al, Al, Almodovar it wouldn't really be depends. very, yeah. It really depends. But I mean, I don't mean necessarily Spanish cinema. I mean, Spanish society. Oh. So, you know, it's very Catholic. Yeah. So I, I, I suppose I'm thinking of that. Like, I mean, Spanish cinema goes both ways. Ha, yeah. Very much. Has, has, has there, um... Something I kind of heard about is the real kind of cultural kind of uh, backlash uh, uh, post Franco and the kind of um, freeing of kind of sexual mores. But how how um, uh, how pervasive is that versus the old kind of conservative uh, uh, Spain? I wonder. 
That was my thesis, actually, was on the use of media to um, change the political and social environment after Franco. They there was a, a there was a really massive turnabout in what was permissible on TV, in cinema, and everything. And this it was incredibly fast, and it was like using the opposite of censorship. So under Franco, for example, songs like Kiss, anything that had Kiss in the title were banned. Wow. Uh, itsy Witsy, Ditsy, Yellow Bikini, whatever that, you know, Itsy Witsy, Teeny Weeny, <laughs> that song was banned. Those kind of things were banned. And then with within 10 years, like, um, what were those famous softcore French films they would be the wednesday night movie yeah there was a live sex show involving a donkey on the ramblas in the 80s and that was only stopped by the spanish SP- <laughs> spca <laughs> it was they they had they used it to turn people's opinions and all of that but actually i don't know that you can do things so quickly and i don't know if you force people to clamp down then in some ways but i know people in spain where they you know that 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 what people think is still i mean it's the same here but what people think is still very important and if you're married just stay married and their family wouldn't speak to them if they left an abusive husband that kind of thing i mean it still happens so I mean, you can't change a culture completely ever. No, yeah. And it's probably worth noting, I suspect, that maybe this is part of the reason why it succeeded as as much as it did in China, where China does have that same sort of morality baked into its films. I mean, next week, Andrew and I will be talking about uh, a movie, Infernal Affairs, which is a Hong Kong film, which famously had its ending change for mainland China in order to properly instill the righteous moral virtue Um of you know the story that it was telling for Chinese audiences, well, and I, I like, do think that there like, is like most kind of national morality. Yeah, I mean, what, what what's the point otherwise if they don't entertain and enlighten? Um, but yeah, yeah edifying. Yeah, but yeah. I, I do kind of I do kind of like uh, that. Yeah, I kind of do like the read that. Yes, we should have guessed that Dorio was a completely ruthless sociopath because he was having sex with a woman who was not his wife. I mean, after that, it's all it's all. Fairly downhill. Yeah. It's fairly it's but skiing I, downhill. I suppose if you were to go really, he was repentant about that in the beginning. <laughs> Sorry, I keep talking over you. No, this no, is delay. I blame the delay. Exactly. But he was repentant in the beginning. While we, uh, you know, I mean, she was unrepentant about the affair, and while she was the femme fatale, dressed, dressed well, she was the baddie, yeah. and then he was unrepentant about the affair. Uh, whenever he came batted him you know yeah. there's a correlation between the sexual morality oh, and the murderous morality I did, and I actually I noticed this down as I was watching it because I was watching it the, the you know the first version of events that you see which is his version of the crash where she's driving and you know that the accident happens and she is the one who drives the cover-up she's the one who's like well come over here and pretend like we're trading insurance details and I'll go stand inside you know in front of the little blood dripping and stuff like that well, at the end of that scene and this is his version of events I know this but I love it's arguably that- more Old Testament because it's kind of she is Eve, she's oh, Jezebel she's, or Salome or yes. yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I kind of, I love that in his version of events, his first version of events, and I actually wrote this line down because part of me was like, I'm going to talk about this tomorrow and then the movie took the turn, which is, it's best if I stay here and ask for help. 
you go take care of the body, says Laura, which is one of those great taking charge of the murder scene sequences. It's like, I'll do the hard work. I'll stay here with the car and ask somebody to help me with it. You go do the easy part of, I don't know, dismembering and burying a body because, you know, I'm, I'm in charge here. Which I kind of, I kind of loved. Again, ties into what Andrew was saying there. The kind of suggestion that you have of Dorio casting her as the villain of the story. Kind of even subtly. Because the film doesn't immediately establish her as the villain. Like, he doesn't immediately seek to blame it on her. He lets Virginia kind of, like, make those suggestions. And then he's like, oh, oh, now that you mention it. Yes, that does seem like maybe Laura was not as great as I thought she was. (laughs) Yeah, she stops walking with a limp and puts on her sunglasses. (laughs) (laughs) smokes a cigarette <laughs> gets into a car yeah. yeah which again again and i kind of it, i think to be fair to give the movie some credit i think that's actually quite clever the way that it does that where dorio's initial version of events make more sense when you look at them in hindsight as him trying to construct a narrative that you the audience or virginia the presumed audience are, are going to buy into i did also like um and i i yeah, plays into the audience expectations and stereotypes and everything as well like it does make you think oh i shouldn't have fallen for that so quickly yeah and that's it and like why did i assume that dorio this handsome rich billionaire who can afford a great lawyer you know why why does why did he have to have the bad look of falling for that beautiful psychopath um, yeah, photographer <laughs> the... <laughs> slash bank you yeah. know bank fraud expert as well i do love the virginia points that out it's like yeah, <laughs> does, does she keep up to date with technology like oh, i don't know maybe bruno helped her which yeah particulars particulars yeah um, thank you by the way this is good yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did i did love that uh you know again i'm part of wonders if this maybe explains some of its international appeal that like uh contratiempo belongs to that rich and illustrious genre of cinema that is people having epiphanies while staring at cgi deers a genre that includes such hits as the queen <laughs> three billboards outside ebbing missouri Annihilation, The Walking Dead, and crucially, not actually including The Killing of a Sacred Deer, even though that seems like it should have been a dead ringer for the genre. But I did really like that sequence where, you know, for no for no reason beyond symbolism, Doria adds kind of this, oh, by the way, when I was disposing of the body, there was a deer in a clearing and he stared at me, I stared at him, and we knew each other. Oh, and and like, if if you're going to do that, maybe like do it, Kind of sparingly, if it's going to look quite quite like a CG deer, don't don't then use the same CG deer like three or four times. Yeah, um, keep cutting back and forth. Yeah, <laughs> reminding us of the CG. You have deer. the driver <laughs> like next to the CG deer. You have the the CG deer like in case in case you didn't get that it's running off. You have it then running back into into shots. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we paid a lot to render that deer thank you very much we're going to get as much mileage out of it as we can yeah we like we tried to sell it to killing of the sacred deer but they they wouldn't pay so <laughs> and then refused to change the title yeah um, but yeah and i kind of um yeah so and, and i also like the hotel uh, which is very kubrick-esque um yeah because i kind of mentioned this at the start like it, it's very much a hitchcock film in terms of kind of narrative in terms of structure in terms of characterization as well and in terms of narrative but in terms of appearance, it, it reminded me a lot, that shot of the, the hotel, particularly under the mountain as well, and the way in which the camera, say, for example, follows the train as it's going up to the hotel, but even the pan across the kind of landscape, kind of focusing up on the hotel at the base of the mountain was also very shining-like for me. 
I think it it kind of while while I think it kind of borrows those um Kubrickian kind of uh visual references I don't think it shows Kubrick's same kind of ability to to put a sense of place into into a movie like it didn't feel very um much like uh it was in Barcelona it did there were, there was something kind of I I everywhere I, USA about it all yeah or, although like like well, yeah it was quite generic yeah I felt like there there was probably a lot of kind of digital um uh, uh photography you sorry digital yeah kind of gray greeny colors as well I wonder if that maybe contributed to that lack of sense of specificity I think so and and it did feel like there were, there was kind of um. A, a good bit of kind of computer generation of of of, of things um, that maybe took Sorry, away. I was just looking up what a deer symbolizes in Chinese culture, <laughs> just on the. <laughs> what does it symbolize? It symbolizes longevity and wealth. Well, I mean, half of those is clear anyway. I mean, he did he did arguably last longer than pretty much any other character in the movie. So I suppose that's yeah. there as well. Um, Don't so- noodles also symbolize longevity? No, <laughs> I think like no, like noodles. Uh, you don't you don't cut noodles. Oh, because they they symbolize kind of long life or I something. This is something some... that I've heard. No, I thought you were making a joke about like you know proper stockpiling during this crisis that we're in at the moment. Oh yeah, yeah. Are 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 just making some kind <laughs> of like anti Chinese joke. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, what what about yourself, Oni? In terms of its its sense of place or it's kind of like the way it was shot, and what what jumped out to you about that? Well, I mean, in the beginning, I didn't know straight off that it was Barcelona. I knew it was Spain and it took me a, a little bit. And most, the only thing that I knew about was the taxis because those black and yellow taxis are only in Barcelona. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, they shot Barcelona as the sort of the grids. Yeah. The grid like that could be New York as opposed to the very famous, you know, Gothic quarter or something like that that everyone would recognize. Uh, I mean, I did think that it was quite deliberately generic, the place and the hotel. I agree. I did think it was quite Kubrick, but it sort of could have been anywhere. Yeah. And I mean, even even the, the apartment where he's staying, which is all these glass surfaces and windows and stuff like that, almost seems like something out of Fincher. You know, it could be it could, yeah. have, he could have easily mm-hmm. been staying in Paris, you know, where he claimed to have been when the murder took place. Or he could have been in New York or whatever. It feels very generic. It feels like it could be anywhere, which is probably why the film is so has been so successful internationally as well, that you could transpose it quite easily, I suspect. Yeah, I mean, it's an, interest, it's an interesting question, really. I mean, one, it's interesting. I don't have an answer, but it is an interesting issue that why, why make it so generic whenever it's in Spanish? I mean, it's not Catalan, but like it's in Spanish, so... You know, I mean, we know where it's set and all that. Why not make a virtue of it? Yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of kind of just, just other things very quickly that I noticed about this, um, I, I I love the level of reflexicity of it, um, where you have, for example, you know, at one stage you have Virginia, or actually, well, you have, you know, um, the, the, fa- the mother playing Virginia, but talking about Virginia watching Thomas, who was watching Doria. And it's like, you know, they feel like it's kind of almost like six degrees of separation, where it's like, yes, but Doria was also watching Thomas, who was also watching Virginia, who was also in turn <laughs> watching. I kind of love the, the sense of everything bending back on itself almost. 
Yeah, like, I mean, it, it really reminded me of something and I couldn't remember what it was. There was, I mean, there's a grand tradition of films doing that of and then and then and then and then and, and you know, the six degrees of separation. Yeah. Um, and again, I just can't think of any examples. <laughs> Part of me, again, this is one of the things where I was like this, you know, this is maybe not the best written script ever. Um, the handy convenience of Laura being picked up by Tomas um, at the site, you know, where she's just happened to have been involved in a hit and run involving his son. Um, and again, there's a lot of that that happens throughout where there's a lot of a, it just so happens that, you know, this character, for example, just so happens that the mother looks just enough like Virginia that she can like put on the fake cheeks and kind of dye her hair or put on a wig um, and can disguise herself as Virginia. It just so By happens. By the way, he's never seen Virginia. Yeah. Uh-huh. And if he had seen Virginia, he wouldn't kind of, and and Felix didn't say uh, a a... A lawyer is going to come along later and let me describe her physically for you so you know it's her. I mean, to be fair, it's possible. I suspect they suspected that he might Google her or something like that. Although he doesn't because he's an yeah. idiot, um, like which I kind of love. Um, but I, And again, the level of detail that goes on, the peeling of the mask, which is very usual suspects-like. Uh, well, that, that, it's very kind yeah. of Mission Impossible as well. And, I, I, and it did feel uh, ridiculous to me. <laughs> and, it, and, and I remember like, Thinking about I thought she looked so like her anyway that the, I didn't realize there was a mask. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the moment where she peels off her cheeks and her nose. Uh, and that just feels a bit excessive. Yeah, like, oh, well, I thought you looked the same anyway. <laughs> put a wig on. It feels like you're going a bit far for this. How did you get the mold is my question. How did they get the mold for the real Virginia's face? I think it was I think it was yeah. uh, Daniel's mother as well, who was the one with the special effects makeup on. Uh, as opposed to Vir, 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 Virginia Goodman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because you. I think that was her real face, and the spe- the mother looked like yeah, she looked like she was in disguise. Yeah, yeah. The whole way throughout the movie, she looked kind of weird. <laughs> the lips are odd. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's kind of strange because mm. again, and in part of you wonders like how self-involved Dorio is that he's standing, you know, a meter away from her, you know, violating WHO guidelines in terms of, you know, self-isolation or whatever, but he's close enough that he can't mm-hmm. see the seams on her makeup or can't go, you know, and again, you know, Dorio's not... So what, that he hasn't read all of the news or seen lots of news about this boy that he killed, like just even if only to find out how close they are to catching him. And he hasn't sort of seen enough pictures of the parents the grieving parents to know that he's standing inches away from one yeah or the fact that like in that sequence where laura's traveling with tomas and tomas is talking about his wife as a showbiz performer which presumably mm-hmm. means that like laura mentioned like Tom, the, the car ride with Tomas. Laura mentioned specifically that Tomas's mother was an actor and that this stayed with Doria enough that when he was relating the story back to Virginia and therefore the audience, he made a point to include it as well. It's, it's kind of, again, it's one of those things that is a, like, it's a conceit of the mystery. It's like the, the film has to be seen to be playing fair, if yeah. only to justify giving you that montage at the end. But that's uh, the, the thing as well for the audience is that the audience doesn't know to what extent they're being told what happened by Doria and to what extent they're seeing what, what happened. actually happened yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is the kind of ambiguous as he's like describing it um, with including I also thought it was... no go on sorry no, no, no I was no, just no. going to say including details that like he might know or yeah, yeah. Mm. 
I, I just thought, well, one of the interesting aspects of it was that I didn't really care about any of the characters, even the parents. Like, I didn't... There's no... Emo- it's not a film that you get emotionally invested in. I mean, it is all for no knickers in that sense as well, that it's really just... Um, it's about the spectacle. It's about the story. It's about itself. Like, I mean, the film is sort of a version of your man, of the main character, Adrienne. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's, it's like, there's no emotional depth to it at all. Yeah. It's a magic trick where the emphasis is on the magic, on the trickery. Yeah. Yeah. And despite what it's about and, and the grieving parents and, you know, I mean, they're, they're driven to all sorts of measures, but at no point do you ever get a real sense of emotion. No, the closest nor... actually I got to feeling anything was that moment um, where uh, Laura realized who she had killed. Yeah. Or, you know, who was dead when she realized it was their son. But but even then, that serves as a setup to kind of this tension Hitchcock act sequence where she has the phone in her pocket and has to hide it in the house very quickly as well. Where it's all yeah. it's all mechanics. Um, it is all kind of like mechanics. It's a criticism that you see of Nolan films, which I don't entirely buy, but I can understand where people are like, uh, yeah, but it's it's all just clockwork precision. It's all just lining up objects so that when they collide off one another, they move in directions that the film needs them to move. She was very good, by the way. The, the, uh, yeah, but it's almost the deliberate. You well. have an emotional moment moment and it's turned i don't yeah. agree with that about nolan films yeah i i wouldn't agree with it either um, but i sorry. yeah and i i think like you don't really kind of um identify or emotionally connect with the son or properly kind of feel the the tragedy of the parents they give a kind of a sense of of what a great kind of uh, uh of desperation was. yeah but but you you don't you don't feel that kind of same sadness or tragedy. No, but I mean I don't I don't mean I don't mean it as a criticism. It's just a commentary because yeah. you know in, in that film there is no room for for great emotional depth as well. You can't be no. crying as well as guessing. Yeah. I mean you have to. Like, I mean it's just about part of the mechanism of how the far, of the the film works and why it works. I think. Yeah. And I mean, even that scene between Tomas and between Doria at the awards where, you know, Tomas is having this big emotional breakdown. I just want to know, like watching it, you you feel very much like it exists solely so it can get to that wonderful shot. And it's a great shot uh, from Paolo. Yeah. The sequ- and again, you, you, like, you know, the one I'm talking about, even though I haven't mentioned it yet. The sequence where the yeah. lighter lands in the water and it cuts the car going into the water as well, which is this, this wonderful visual shot. And like watching it, it's very clear that the point of the scene isn't to make you go, oh, that poor man, Tomas, and his suffering. It's to go, wow, that's a really cool shot that they pulled off. Because it is a really cool shot. Yeah. It, it is nicely directed, isn't it? Like, I mean, it's... it's, uh, But again, it's like, it's a visual, it's sharp. There is some... I like some of the way that, you know, it's cut through. Like, for example, the I can't remember. Like, I mean, the conversations kind of overlap a bit. So the parents conversation with the police overlaps them back to that conversation between Tomas and Adrian with, with the lighter you know the the way they sort of go around it's everything going around on itself yeah. he, like it, it's, he doesn't know either that that um that he's Norman based his uh his son <laughs> 
Um, but again, you could have really just cool. crushed them in that car. <laughs> With which version in the end? I need to sort of sit down and work it out. What? Who knew what at what point? In which version? And speaking of that Norman Bates thing, yes, I do love the psycho reference with the car as well. And again, like part of me wonders yeah. if, if if this is the kind of like a structural thing that kind of Paulo is doing with the film, where he almost wants you to root for uh, Doria um, to the point where, and again, part of me wonders if this is why the film is kind of structured in the way that it is, not just to facilitate plot, but to also allow the film to basically put you in a situation where you're rooting for like about half the film for a guy who was complicit in a hit and run that killed a guy. You know, Because it begins with, because this is one of the central tensions of the film for me watching it the first time through the first half, was the sequence of like Doria being interviewed by Virginia. And she's like, well, we're going to get you off this murder trial for Lara in the hotel room where you were found with her dead body and like within 50 minutes you go to oh by the way i was complicit in a hit and run that killed a promising young man but part of me wonders mm-hmm. like um like what when that happens the film assumes that i'm still going to be rooting for dorio after that happens which is a very psycho beat where it's like well i really hope the jury finds him innocent of this mystery or you know i really hope that he solves this mystery that landed him you know arrested for being found with the dead body of a young woman i mean all he did was dispose of the dead body of a young man uh, which is kind of an interesting yeah. kind of and again this gets he was the told thing. to <laughs> yeah, by, the by evil woman by that evil femme by fatale. a woman who was unrepentantly having an affair so yeah. clearly you know subtext is deserved to die um, but again, again yeah. I kind of, I kind of this like... works perfectly because we're both having affairs. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I kind of, <laughs> I kind of love um, that the film kind of does that, where it pulls that kind of like moral kind of like it, it moves so quickly. And again, this is the thing that Anya mentioned, where. And again, I love that expression, all for coat and no knickers. Uh, but it is very much like it's a film that exists to justify itself, to justify its use of these tropes. It's not primarily like, I don't think it's, you know, that aboutness that we mentioned. It's I don't think it's about anything. But I think that it's structured in such a way that it moves incredibly quickly. And it gets past all of these points, where all these points where if you were pausing the movie, if you were thinking about the movie, if you were unpacking the movie, you'd be like, wait, what, what's, what's going on here? And not just in a sense of like, who knows what when, in like what is the movie trying to get me to do am i rooting for this person um but the film moves quickly enough and is designed intricately enough that it, it is a trick box it feels like i'm not watching the movie because i want dorio to be found innocent i'm watching the movie because i want to see how this happened yeah. how everything falls into place at I, the end i kind of disagree as well that that like well sorry i i think i think it's fair enough to kind of let the movie off to say it doesn't have to do uh, this as in it doesn't have to kind of uh, pack that kind of emotional punch because all it's it's trying to do is to kind of uh, set up all of these kind of uh, reveals and it's not trying to get in the way of itself but you think of movies that 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 do both well like yeah. like like we we, Knives we out, I'm yeah but like we 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 spoke about um was it um uh Los, uh Los Secretos and Los uh, Ojos? Yeah. Or is, yeah. Is, yeah, where 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 they Yes, yeah, where 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 they where they have kind of a similar sort of a uh, mystery kind of but but also like the emotional kind of 
attachment that 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 you have between so many kind of um levels of the characters from 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 the most kind of seemingly inconsequential character to the most important characters and parallel mm-hmm. stories and the amount that you can invest in all i i i think i think it makes it while while you could say that it's it's not that kind of movie I think it's the less it's a lesser movie for it because it doesn't kind of um it 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 doesn't it doesn't effectively kind of make you connect with these with these people. Oh yeah, and I mean that's probably why, you know, none of us would put it in our top 50 of great movies because it manages to achieve one thing but not another whereas yeah. plenty of films can achieve it all. Yeah, I, I kind of I kind of agree with that um, to a great deal. Like again, I I think that it does what it sets out to do very well, and therefore isn't a bad mm. film. It's a film I really enjoyed. I don't think it's a great film because of exactly what Andrew mentioned is that it doesn't necessarily do anything more. And again, what what more is is vague. But and I ambiguous. just think it doesn't fail at doing that because yeah. it doesn't try. Yeah, that that's it exactly. And again, that that's why I think it's a good film, not a great film. I think that's kind of the gap. Again, this is one of the things where you talk about how you rate a movie or how you criticize a movie. For for me, if a movie sets out to do something and it's plainly trying to do something, and again, this is I think Ebert's like argument. Like if it's that, trying to be funny yeah. and it's not. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a that's a major failing. Whereas if it's trying to be funny and it is funny, but it's nothing more. I think it's a good movie. I don't think it's a great movie kind of thing, if that makes sense. If yeah. that's kind of like on a scale. And I'd agree with Anya about, about this movie in particular, where I liked it a lot. I'd recommend people watch it. I hope if you've listened to the podcast this far, uh, you have watched it. Otherwise, we have ruined everything for you. Um, but I, I, do, I, I would recommend that people watch this. I, I don't think it's a great movie. I don't think it, it wouldn't have made my top 40 of the year that was released 2016. Uh, it's not going to make my 250 ever. And I... I don't think I'd argue that it's a great film or even a classic of, of kind of the limited Spanish films that I've seen. Um, but I do like it. I like it a lot. Um, and I think I like it because, as Anya said, it knows what it's setting out to do. And by that measure, it succeeds. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Like, I really enjoyed it. And the people I watched it with really enjoyed it, too. And they were taken with it and they're engaged and you know, wanted to watch more. And there's plenty of films that I would say are great movies. And I know that the, my, the person who was watching with me last night would leave the room, you know? <laughs> so it, it's really, it's just about watchability. And I think particularly at the moment when people are maybe stuck in watching films or whatever, I really think it's one to watch. Perfect. Um, so is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything we haven't discussed already with regards to The Invisible Guest or Contra Tempio? Anything jumping out at people? I just think that, uh, I mean, sometimes, you know, thrillers can have a lot of twists um, that can be difficult to follow. This isn't like, I mean, I, I think that at every point you you can follow what it's doing. It's not trying to outsmart you. It's just telling a story. Well, several versions it, of a story. It is indeed. And again, I think that Paolo is, again, this is, we keep, I feel like we keep going back to this idea of him being a better director than he is a writer. But I feel like when it, visually he is incredibly good at communicating information and in communicating information mm. very clearly in how he positions the camera how he frames the camera like i mean you mentioned mm. that you deduce the ending of the movie by the looks the characters were giving to one another um which again is something that's not necessarily something that's done in dialogue it's something that's done in composition framing and performance and he's very very good at this and even like things like we mentioned the the editing the cutting the juxtaposition the montages even the sequence of the lighter landing in the water and that cutting against the car like it's a remarkably well 
put together kind of film. I think it's a very well directed film. I think it's an incredibly watchable film. Um, and again, you mentioned it's this. It's not an actor's film, though. Sorry? It's not an actor's film. No. There's not a whole lot for the actors to do. Yeah, no, I, I come out of it and I don't think any, like, I, I'm struck by any of the performance. I think maybe, I think Andrew singled out Laura yeah. as probably the character who feels the most developed and I think probably the best performance. But again, she's she's a minor character in the grand scheme of things. Everybody else feels like they're mechanical. You know, and even then, we don't really know Laura. We see Laura through the different versions of her presented by Virginia Doria. But it do, like that's the only performance that really kind of jumped out at me in any way, shape or form. She She's a great actress. Um, have you seen uh, her I mean, stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Barbara Lenny is her name. Oh. Uh, what's she done? What would you recommend if people are kind of looking for a bit more Barbara Lenny, actually? Um... Obviously, I can't think of anything right off the top of my head now that you've asked me, but I will. I no, will. No, no pressure at all. Um, and Andrew, is there, anything, is there anything else you want to talk about with the film? Anything we haven't discussed already? Um, no, like, like I, I suppose I, I did, I did enjoy the movie. But I also kind of, it, I think it struck me watching it, kind of, um, the sort of, um, uh, silliness. Uh, as well which 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 can count against it or you can just ignore it you can say like oh that's fine like, or, or it, it does it, it does what it does yeah exactly like even the 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 reveal about um uh, uh for, for virginia um actually being the mother i think that occurred to me and then i decided <laughs> no that would be that would be silly. <laughs> um, and i decided that like the no they're not going to do that what was Side the recent effects. Netflix one? Oh, huh? uh, oh, the, oh, yes, the one sure. with Meryl Streep. Yes, with Heidi. And now we spoiled the movie for everybody, so I don't want to mention the name of it. But yes, the one about the Panama Papers. Um, what is it called? Um, oh, Laundromat. The Laundromat. Yes, it yeah. is. Um, so now we've spoiled it. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you have. You haven't spoiled it for me. I don't think so. I don't. But yes, it, it has a similar sort of okay, ending. Okay, say it's, no more, shut up. <laughs> it's the Kaiser Soze ending anyway, basically. Um, it, the movie does a, <laughs> a, like a, a very blatant Kaiser... The movie, I'm talking now about like The Invisible Guest, so I'm not spoiling anything. But it does a very blatant sort of um, kind of Kaiser Soze ending, where instead of it being the limp gradually turning into a walk, um, it's like the face being peeled off. Well, it's the Mission Impossible. <laughs> well, yeah, with the pulling of the... Uh, kind of syncing up mm -hmm. with the... Um, but yeah, so, so I mean, I kind of... And it's interesting because I had the opposite reaction it's, to Andrew. It's also, um, it's also Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Very much Scooby-Doo as well. Um, but I had the opposite reaction to Andrew, where Andrew mentions that he was like, oh, it could be the mother, and then went, no, that's too stupid a twist for this movie. And again, this is the thing where it sounds like I'm being insulting the movie, but I'm really not. I think where it's I, that I didn't want it to be that stupid. Yeah. I, I had the exact opposite <laughs> twist, where it's like, uh, exact opposite reaction, where it's like, oh, it's going to be the mother, isn't it? This is exactly <laughs> that kind of movie. This is the exact right level of not making sense for this movie to work, I think. Uh, which is kind of like when I was on board. I think that was the moment it twigged at me because it was like the I mentioned the opening few minutes where it's like, oh, yeah, I was found uh, with my dead mistress. I didn't do it, but I totally manslaughtered this kid. That was the point where I was like, this doesn't really make sense. But the point at which it's I started like... to go, oh, wait, it's the dead kid's mother. Um, That was the point at which I went, 
I get what the movie's doing. I get the level at which the movie's operating. Yeah. I am on board the train that takes me to the hotel. That it was is after realising how... how uh, they, I did get the sense... That there was a few things where, where I thought things were going to be differently. Like like where they were going to be um, uh, sillier. I thought he was going to look over at them and they were to watch as his apartment explodes uh, from, from, yeah. the, from the bomb. Yeah. Inside the pen. Yeah. What was that pen? The pen was a bug. The pen was a bug, yeah. In that bomb, yeah. Yeah, but I, I felt like her briefcase was, was, was packed with explosives and was going to explode. I also felt like, like Felix... Looking across to like I've 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 found I found someone who's who's going to help with the prosecution. And he looks across and there's like a deer helping check people in <laughs> to their flights and <laughs> handing a whole lot of money to this deer <laughs> to give their version of the story. But that would have probably been too silly. Just a little bit too silly, I think. Um, but yeah, I think that about wraps it up. Then, in terms of talking about uh, Contra Tiempo, um, I think we're broadly in agreement that we all liked it, we all enjoyed it, all found it fun. Yeah. Um, I think that maybe there's some disagreement. Some least. great COVID nineteen viewing. Yeah, I think it is, and it's yes. readily readily available on Netflix. Um, so what we do then at the end of each podcast episode, um, particularly I suppose now with with COVID nineteen on, we do is we want to share recommendations for listeners. So something that you have been you be watching, listening to, even just doing um, that you would wholeheartedly recommend, or kind something of for that you want to promote, or, or yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I thought we might do a separate round of promotions afterwards, but it's right. like a separate of plugging, self plugging, um, uh, COVID nineteen sensitive self plugging because you can only plug yourself during um COVID-19 it's like self-quarantine self-isolation um Andrew why are you giggling um anyway sorry but yes recommendations so um I'll ask Andrew before I'll ask Anya just to give Anya a chance to think about this uh yeah um so we've um we've done a few uh, uh Spanish language movies with um Anya previously and I'd recommend for 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 listeners to go back listen to them but watch the movies uh the secret in their eyes and roma yeah roma um, available on netflix as well exactly those those would be two that i that i'd really secret recommend. in their eyes is hard to find actually but it's on amazon prime okay cool amazon prime do have a good international library yeah yeah no but it, it's it's well well worth having i'd even recommend people to 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 purchase it yeah right, um, i did yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's downstairs. like out out of any of the movies we've seen um for on for for this podcast it's definitely kind of on a hand yeah. like yeah and we've done like 175 it, of these. it gets under your skin it's so it's the most beautiful film i think yeah and it's all it also works kind of on on a very sort of um a uh, simple level as well like like it it's it's a it's a lovely kind of a a, a love story it's very funny um all of the characters from the smallest to 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 the largest characters in the movie um feel um real and you care about like like his uh his his, his uh, colleague who yeah yeah Who's, um, I was actually thinking of that exact character. Yeah, exactly. Exact yeah. Yeah. Who? Who? Who's? Who's the 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 the, the football fan? And yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. 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 All of it. Like it's a beautiful film. So so great. And then another a a specifically a Spanish movie. Um, I'd recommend uh, Habla con Ella by um, or, or sorry, Habla con Ella. Is it? Yes. Um, I think. Yeah. Um, 
by uh, Pedro Almodovar. Yes, um, a beautiful uh, movie. Very weird, as you'd kind of expect from um, Almodovar. Very kind of, um, I guess you'd say, kind of um, uh, uh, problematic. But 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 um, but yeah, beautiful um, uh, movie. I thought and um, and stays with you. I think. And Anya, what yeah. would you recommend? I don't know. Actually, I have been doing my best to do up a list of what are the kind of hidden gems, secret gems. I think that people watch the new movies on, on Netflix and Now TV or whatever their streaming service happens to be. I think that, but just, I was trying to put together some of the things that people mightn't know are on or mightn't know that are worth looking at. And there's such a, there's a huge collection of, of, of old treats, you know, um, things like steel magnolias and ghost and all those things. I think it's kind of a perfect time maybe for people to look at those films you always meant to, but never got around to, or, you know, to commit to looking at Dr. Zhivago and those kind of things, because they're experiences like nothing else, you know, and just get yourself some nice snacks, turn off your phone and just submerse yourself in Dr. Shivago or something like that. I just, you know, or Lawrence of Arabia, something classic and fabulous. Now is the time to watch the movies that you always meant to. Yeah, no, I don't agree with that, actually. And this is one of the things that I've kind of talked to people about, where nowadays you have thousands and thousands and thousands of movies being released continuously uh, in cinemas. It's hard but to keep zero up. hours to watch and, them. Yeah, that's it, exactly. Um, oh. And again, I like we. I have had difficulty, I'll admit this really myself, catching up with pop culture as it's yeah. moving so fast. Considering and, that's almost entirely your life. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's really That's depressing. really saying something. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I, I kind of... And again, obviously, the, the way in which the, the movie industry, television industry have been affected by COVID-19 is not the real story here. It's not the real tragedy. Um, it's not the real kind of heartbreak. Here. It's not the focus of attention. And it shouldn't be because there are more important things. But one of the things about like the postponement of culture in the age of COVID-19, the pushing back of the Bond movies, pushing back Mulan, the rescheduling of film releases, stuff like that, is that it does create that lacuna like where there is no culture, where we could actually arguably have a summer without new films and television and it is the perfect opportunity to go back and to fill in those gaps. So I, I would wholeheartedly second that recommendation as well. Um, in terms of recommendations for myself, um, two quick ones. Um, and I feel really bad because I was just like, go and watch classic films. And I'm about to recommend two new films. Um, but two new Ooh. films that are kind of related to this. Knives Out, which myself and Andrew covered with uh, Luke Dunn and Alex Towers a couple of weeks ago. Uh, one of my favorite films of the last year. Wholeheartedly recommended. Another murder mystery. Another twisty one. Another self-aware, very playful film that's well aware of what an audience expects from murder mystery and plays with that expectation. I adored it. I think it's well worth seeking out. It is available on digital now. Um, and the other recommendation I would make um, is because I was recently at the Dublin Film Festival. Um, and so this makes me sound much more cultured than I usually am. I've talked about how, you know, I, I'm kind of have a huge blind spot in terms of foreign film and foreign language film. One when of you films... say foreign. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, all films are foreign films to us here in Ireland. Um, but no, when I, when I say about like European non-American cinema, um, one of the things that I saw this year at the festival and one of the ones that I absolutely adored uh, was The Mystery of Henry Pick, uh, which is a French film. And it's great. I'll give you a very brief summary of the plot. It is essentially a murder mystery where the hero of it is a literary critic. So 
Following the death of a man called Henry Bick in a small village in France, they discover a manuscript um, which is credited to him. The manuscript becomes a literary sensation in France, um, despite the fact that this, you know, seemingly humble tradesman uh, with no background in literature, barely literate, uh, couldn't speak any language except French, wrote this wonderful treatise on Russian literature, a bit of biographical fiction that speaks the heart of French society. And this one French film critic, who ends, this French literary critic, who ends up losing his job over the book, losing his marriage over the book, decides to single-handedly set out and prove that this tradesman from this small village didn't write this book. And it basically structured like a murder mystery. There's interrogations, there's twists and turns, there's denouements, there's red herrings, there's suspects. It is a delight. I absolutely adored it. So if you get a chance to see it, it's, it's well worth seeking out, I would recommend. And it's the it's history of Henry with- Pick? Sorry, sorry, the, what? But isn't it lovely when you find, like, you just stumble across almost a movie that is that you just love? Like, it's just I saw. I don't know if either of you saw End of the Century. I didn't. It know was that. in the IFI, and the IFI's closed now for yeah. the foreseeable. But it was it's really worth looking at. I just it was set in Barcelona as well, and I absolutely loved it. I really, really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was a beautiful little treat of a film yeah and again like it, that, that's the joy of this sort of thing of having that opportunity is having that kind of like being able to find a small film like that that you absolutely adored i also loved rocks which is a small british film which is about a, a young girl caring for her younger brother when her mother disappears um and that, that's beautiful as well and i would have hardly recommend that if, if you see it as well mm-hmm. um and i also saw what was it uh it must be heaven which was Pal- palestine's submission to the oscars last year it didn't ah. qualify for foreign film but it's it's absolutely stunning it's very chaplinesque it's a kind of a a commentary on what it is to be a citizen of the world when you're entirely stateless um and it's it, it's a fascinating kind of comedic kind of acerbic kind of like very puzzled look at the way in which the modern world works uh, and i absolutely adored that as well um so anyway yes in terms of kind of uh, plugs and recommendations so anya if people are looking for a bit more of you where can we find you <laughs> in the sunday independent not really anywhere else i'm a bit crap on social media <laughs> that's a good it's a good place to be um so this will be released on Saturday. So tomorrow uh, you'll find Anya uh, in the Sunday Independent. Um, and Andrew? Yeah, um, well, I, I don't really have anything other than kind of this podcast. So like if, <laughs> if you are if you are in isolation, kind of you can listen to a few um, older episodes. I like the Rogue One um, <laughs> episode. That was one of our earlier that ones. And I realized that that actually also kind of set up some of the of tropes like listening back to it it's like oh that's the first time we said that yeah the first time that we did that um, yeah 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 no rogue one was, was like again this is really awkward when you're on your own podcast talking about enjoying your own podcast historically but yes i really did enjoy <laughs> rogue one uh, i really did enjoy talking about rogue one with you um yeah so the 250 you can find online or on stitcher on soundcloud and itunes being honest if you're listening to us already you're probably already aware of that uh please feel free to rate and review us uh those reviews help you know listeners find us um also, you probably heard a bit of an intro at the start of this episode, but just to reiterate, the Irish Cancer Society have had to cancel Daffodil Day um, this this year. Um, so what we would like or request is that if you do have a, a little bit of extra money around, and obviously we understand most people don't, but if, if you do, and if you do enjoy the podcast, please feel free to donate like a, a euro, two euro, anything will help, um, just to help donate and kind of help raise a, a bit of money for them as well. Um, we'll be back next week. We'll be discussing the Hong Kong action film, um, Infernal Affairs, kind of continuing our world tour, bringing the world to your ears in your period of self-isolation. Um, it is available to watch um, 
if you are in Ireland the UK, it's available to watch on Netflix. If you are in the US or overseas, you can buy it online via Google Play, but also um, via, you know, Amazon Prime or, or Vudu or your kind of your medium of choice. It's, it's readily available as well. Um, available via Vudu. Uh, Vudu, yes. Um, <laughs> like the shark from Jaws, The Revenge. Um, but yes, the, the app Vudu um, ah. for American listeners. Um, V-U-D-U. Um, it, it, okay, fine. Anyway, this has turned into a much more complicated thing than I wanted it to be. Uh <laughs> But yes, thank you very much for joining us, Anya. Thank you for coming on. We yeah, really thank you it. so much, Anya. Thank you. All right, we'll be back next Thanks, week. Lad. Bye. Bye. Bye.